if you notice tonight, I feel a lot more comfortable. Amen? <laughs> Don't have to wear that thing right there around my neck. And Oh, isn't that awful? Oh, yeah, well, I, I thought about burning it, but uh, they may have to play LSU next year. And so I, uh, but uh, we hope the same thing doesn't happen. <laughs> Okay, I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Judges 15. We've been going through Judges on Sunday night as we have in Matthew on Sunday morning. We'll take a little break next few Sundays, but uh, Judges chapter 15, we're looking at the life of Samson. Now, we've been looking at these different Judges, and we're going to look at someone who moved from a personal revenge to faith in God. And uh, not long ago, there was a news story about 300 whales, and they found uh, marooned on a beach. And so the scientists, they were really mystified over it. They didn't know how they got there, so they just rationalized and came up with a theory. They said the whales had been chasing sardines and became trapped in shallow water when the tide went out. And that's probably what happened. They don't know for sure, but that's probably what happened. Well, Samson was a man that had many flaws in his life, but he had one great virtue. He was a man that had a passion for freedom. Now, you've got to remember, Israel was living in compromise during this time, but God had called Samson, and he did have a passion for freedom. He lived during a time when Israel was living uh, uh, under the enemy's rule, and they had just gotten accustomed to it, and they had just become uh, adapted and assimilated into that, that culture and that way of life. And so the Jews were committed to appeasement. But Samson was, he was a man who was committed to God's, being God's man for the hour. Now, it doesn't mean that he was perfect. It doesn't mean that he, he didn't make mistakes because we know that he made mistakes. But he was a man that was committed to God for the hour. And most of his life, he was like a whale, though, chasing sardines, unfortunately. And he finally was beached in his pursuit of these sardines by the sardine of sexual pleasure. But in Judges 15, we have Samson at probably his spiritual pinnacle, uh, and except, I guess, for his death. And so this is what we're going to be looking at. And in verses five, uh, 1 through 8, we're going to be looking at this personal revenge and how it occurred. It says, but after a while, in the time of wheat harvest, Samson visited his wife with a young goat and said, I will go into uh, in my wife in her room. But her father did not let him enter. Her father said, I really thought that you hated her intensely, so I gave her to your companion, to the best man. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? He knew that Samson had a temper, and he didn't want him releasing it on him, so he tried to appease him, and he said, look at, my, look at her younger sister. I mean, isn't she more beautiful? Please let her be yours instead. Samson then said to him, this time I shall be blameless in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. Now we're going to talk about that as compared to what he did to them last time. Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches and turned the fox's tail to tail and 
put one torch in the middle between two tails. When he had set fire to the torches, he released the foxes into the standing grain of the Philistines, thus burning up both the stock and the standing grain, along with the vineyards and groves. Then the Philistines said, who did this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he took his wife and gave her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Now, what did they threaten them with if she didn't tell the riddle? They threatened her with the same thing, didn't it? Isn't that amazing? Satan, he doesn't keep his promises, does he? And so... We see that the Philistines came to burn her and her father with fire. Samson said to them, since you act like this, I will surely take revenge on you. But after that, I will quit. Now, I want you to look at that last part. After that, I will quit. Isn't that amazing? Here's a guy that couldn't even, you know, he, he didn't have self-discipline. After that, I'll quit, though. He struck them ruthlessly with a great slaughter, and he went down and lived in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Now, why did he do that? He knew that there was going to be retaliation, so he went to hide out. You see, Samson finds out that he has been the victim of a terrible injustice. You ever been in a situation like that? Terrible injustice. Man, I can't believe they did that to me. Except this was really big. They took his wife away from him. He was not the kind of man who was committed to turning the other cheek, though. A lot, of, a lot of people are like that. They'll turn the other cheek but, and walk away. But Samson was not. Samson had fallen in love with this beautiful Philistine girl, and he arranged for this marriage. And at, a, at this drunken marriage, Samson had thrown out a challenge over a, a riddle to the Philistines. And the Philistines had couldn't come up with the answer so what did they do they went to the the wife and they said tell us the uh, the riddle tell us the answer to it or else we're going to kill you we're going to burn you up well what they do they end up doing anyway and so she told them out of fear and filled with fury at the philistines when that happened when he found out that they had threatened her back in chapter 14 what did he do? He went out and killed 30 men in Ashkelon, 30 Philistines, and, and he, he got their garments and he paid off his debt. And then he just stalked home, mad. Who? You know, just huffed on home. You know, it's a sad story of a man of such great power, defeated by a lack of self discipline. But that's what happens to us, isn't it? That's one big. You know, fruit of the Spirit is self-control, one of the fruits of the Spirit. And so often in, in a society like we live in where we have everything in our hand and it's so easy to come about, self-control is not one of the fruits that's really developed or we allow to be developed in our life. Why? Because it's so easy to get something, so easy to give in to something. Samson still wanted the Philistine woman after all of this. And here we come to chapter 15, and he believed uh, she was his legally. So what did he do? He went to the father's house, and he started to go in to get her. And he said, whoa, whoa hold on a minute. No, no, you can't go in. Samson didn't take in consideration the disgrace that was brought on 
to the family, to the father and the wife when he left and he just stalked away. And because of this disgrace, her father immediately arranged a marriage, well, with the best man, you know, one of the Philistines. So, after Samson called off, uh, was, you know, uh, was, saw that he had been betrayed here, he headed to uh, Timnah to uh, spend a weekend with his bride, and, and he carried with him a kid as a gift, apparently equivalent to a box of candy or about uh, four dozen roses. And he soon found out that he was not the bridegroom any longer. Now, you know how Samson is. I mean, he's got an anger. that you, you, This is the man you don't want to get angry uh, or, or upset at you with. And so he soon found out this. So what did he do? The father was, you know, he was in fear. He saw Samson. What, what could he do? He said, hey, take, my, take the younger daughter. Isn't she more beautiful? Trying to appease him. And man, he was upset. But this is one thing that we need to understand. Samson would have nothing to do here with the substitute. He may have been angry before, but now he was furious. And he was determined to get even, to get revenge. Samson did not focus on the immediate problem, though, of his bride. He focused on the enemy, and he attacked them. He knew who the cause was. It was the enemy, the Philistines, who had threatened them and who had done this. It was not the girl and father who caused the problem. It was the Philistines. And so they had blackmailed the girl into betraying him by threatening her and her family. And so what does he do? He turns his fury that he has upon them and he hits them where it hurts, right in the stomach. Samson captured 300 jackals. They run in packs and so he tied the jackals in pairs and he uh, put a lit torch between them and set them loose in the middle of the cornfield, the standing field. And the fire spread until what? It had destroyed a major part of the crop. Now, this was a devastating blow to the Philistines. Why? Because, you know, so often money means more to us than anything else. Financial loss means much more to us than anything else. And so Samson was not just getting personal revenge. If he had wanted that, what would have happened? He would have taken the bride home, wouldn't he? He'd probably killed the groomsmen, whoever it was, and then he would probably have, uh, you know, set fire to his uh, father-in-law's house if, if necessary himself. I mean, he would have uh, done that personally. What he did, though, he used his personal problem as a basis for the declaration of war against the Philistines. He says in verse 3, this time I shall be blameless in regard to the Philistines. He was taking seriously, he said, I'm taking seriously the call that God has called me to be a Nazarite and I am going after these people. So this personal revenge led into his divine calling. When Samson killed 30 men in Ashkelon, there's no mention of the Philistines retaliating. 
no mention of them wanting to take revenge. We don't have any of that mentioned between chapter 14 and chapter 15. But when their harvest went up in flames, that meant a great loss to them financially, and they really got angry. And they went to Timnah and burned the woman and her father alive in their house. Now, as we look at this, we see that Satan is a very hard taskmaster. And he feels no obligation to keep his promises. And that's exactly how the Philistines were, were operating, weren't they? And so, uh, you know, we see violence is a hard thing to stop. We see it in our world today. When we get on the threadmill of personal revenge and retaliation, it becomes so hard to get off that treadmill. It just keeps on moving. And that is what ha is happening with Samson. Samson's fury turned to rage. If you've done something like this, I will surely avenge myself on you. And afterwards, I will cease, he says in verse 7. Samson was wrong about the last part, and I will cease afterwards. Samson got his revenge. He did get that. Samson single-handedly slaughtered a thousand. Then knowing retaliation would come, he hid in the mountain or mountains. So far, all we have seen is Samson, his strength exhibited, and compromise. All in the same life. Consequences are exhibited from Samson's failure. When we sow disobedience like he did, we're going to reap the consequences. That's what it tells us in the scripture. And so the harvest was inevitable. But let's look at this revenge moving to a display. And this is the neat thing about it, a display of his faith in God's power. Look in verses 9 through 17. Then the Philistines went up and camped in Judah and spread out in Lehi. The men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? And they said, we have come to bind Satan in order to do uh, to him as he did to us. Then look at the count here. 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? Hey, get this into your head, man. You're causing us problems. We're getting around, along with them. We're living right along with them. We're assimilating into their, their lifestyle and, and their culture and everything else. It's become a part of us. We're doing well. And here you are disturbing the cart. And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. They said to him, we have come down to bind you. Whoa, here they are working with the enemy. So that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not kill me. Now this is Samson being pretty calm. And he's got to have faith in the Lord because he could have wiped out those those. Uh, men of Judah right there and probably had every right to as far as them betraying him so they said to him 
No, but we will bind you fast and give you into their hands. Give you into their hands, yet surely we will not kill you. Then they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, so that the ropes that were on his arms were as flax, that is, burned with fire. And his bonds dropped from his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a, a donkey, probably with its teeth still sharp. So he reached out, took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Boy, you don't want to mess with Samson. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men. When he had finished speaking, he threw the jawbone from his hand, and he named that place Ramoth-Lehi. Let's look at the battle. Philistines decide to search for their enemy and destroy him. What do they do? They move into Judah with one purpose. Wasn't to wipe out uh, Judah because they weren't bothering them. Now this is a very important principle. Why does Satan want to disturb us? Why does Satan want to bother us if we're just going along with the world? He'd like for us to keep on going along with the world. Why stir us up? Let us just keep on drifting that way, further and further away from the Lord. And so we, uh, we see 3,000 Israelites, they uh, came to deal with Samson. They said, hey, we'll, we'll go and get him. And so they came to him. The sad thing, but striking thing about the passage is the spiritual condition of Israel, the people of Judah. They sent a delegation and asked them, why have you come up against us? In other words, what is the problem? And when the Philistines told them that they had come to capture Samson, not only did the Israelites here protect, not protect him, but they also sent a force of 3,000 of their own men to bring him back to his death. They were portraying their own. Or mis, uh, allowing the enemy to take over their own. Three things stand out in these verses in 10 through 12. The people had, been, had become thoroughly accommodating with the spiritual status quo. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam. And said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? You see, why would the Philistines have any quarrel with them? As I mentioned earlier, they had learned to live with the status quo of the enemy. That illustrates to us as Christians that we can prefer slavery. Living according to the world and not according to the spiritual world. Living according to the way of Satan or that which opposes God and not that which God would have us to live, which is kingdom living as we've been talking about on Sunday morning. You see, it, it, they preferred slavery to freedom where compromise is more comfortable than commitment to the calling of God. It's, you know, it's always easier 
we shouldn't be too hard on others. We should be really pray for others that, that give in to this and because we may be doing the same thing. We could so easily be doing the same thing because it's a lot easier to go along with the flow of things than to stand against it. It's always easier to swim downstream than to swim against the stream. And so in turn, as we look at this, we see that they weren't rocking the boat in any way. And they had, you know, a leader of amazing power and strength. 3,000 men they had gathered together. Man, they could have fought the enemy, but they didn't. The Israelites had become so degraded by compromise that instead of supporting Samson, they accused him of being a troublemaker. They accused God's man of being a problem. They had so accommodated themselves with the enemy's world, their, the lifestyle, that, uh, that uh, the presence of sin in their life was nothing. They had just accepted the way that they were, give, uh, they were living. And they didn't want to fight against it. This also lets us know that the compromisers have no time for the committed. Don't think that, and, and Christians can be compromisers. We compromise at times. And sometimes, as we've talked about on Sunday morning, it's hard to see whether a person is a believer or a non-believer through their lifestyle. The harvest will come about and it will determine that, what's in the heart. But we don't know whether that is a believer or not. And we should continue to pray for them and witness to them and this thing. But with this, it is sad, just like the Israelites, that when they compromise, that they not only compromised in sin, but they also had no time for Samson, who was committed to war against the enemy. And don't expect people who are compromisers in their faith to have any time for you if you're willing to stand against the flow. Beware if you're determined to live that uncompromised life. And don't get discouraged when others won't stand with you. Then we see that Judah was ignored by the enemy in verse 10. Why have you come? We have come to bind Satan in order to do to him as he did to us. In other words, the enemy had no quarrel with the men of Judah. Satan lost no sleep over Judah. It's a sad commentary on, on believers when they get to that shape. The men of Judah was no threat to the Philistines. It's only when Christians commit themselves to serving the Lord wholeheartedly and battling on the, the, uh, the battlefronts that Satan works to sidetrack them. A man came up to a preacher and said one time, what is all this talk about Satan? I've never met him in my life. The preacher quickly replied, of course not. You never meet someone when you're going in the same direction as he is. But if you turn around and start going in the other direction, you will meet him soon enough. And that's so true. Why does he want to bother us if we're not bothering his work? 
Judah was doing, thirdly, Judah was doing the work of the enemy for them. See, and they said to him, we have come down to bind you so that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. The very ones that should have been fighting against the enemy were fighting with the enemy. They were carrying out their battle for them. They were fighters for the Philistines. If we are not actively involved in a positive way for the Lord Jesus, we can become positive hindrances to the cause of Jesus Christ. And then let, look at Samson's faith real quick. In verses um, 12 through 20, we won't cover all these, but then he said, we have come down to bind you so that uh, we may give you into the hands of Philistines. Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not kill me. So they said to him, no, but we will bind you fast and give you into the hands, yet surely we will not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rope. And then he took the jawbone of donkey and, and killed a thousand. Samson's faith shone its brightness against the backdrop of spiritual compromise. This was a spiritual compromise of, of Judah. They were working with the enemy. And his strength showed in contrast to that. It would be a long time before he reached this height again. And on this day, though, Samson was a man who trusted God. His faith was manifested in three ways. If you look at it, his treatment of the Jews. He didn't kill them. Well, he could have, but he didn't. Second of all, his approach to the enemy. Second great evidence of Samson's faith is found in his approach to the enemy. What did he do? He killed a thousand of them. When he came to Lehi, it says, the Philistines shouted as they met him. Boy, wouldn't that intimidate you? All these Philistines, no telling how many were there. He killed a thousand, but we know, but here they were. And he knew his God, and that faith gave him strength. And then his victory of faith. The third great evidence is found in the victory of Samson. God's Spirit came upon him in power, it says. Samson snapped the ropes, picked up a jawbone, and killed a thousand. What great evidence of Samson and his faith in the Lord and trusting in God when he followed through with this. But let's look at the providence of God also. In verses 18 through 20. Then he became very thirsty and he called to the Lord and said, You had given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? But God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, so that the water came out of it. When he drank, his strength returned, and he, he uh, was revived. Therefore he named it in Hekor, which is in Lehi to this day. So he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. In verse 18, we have Samson praying, this unusual prayer. It's the only one recorded in Samson's life, unfortunately, prior to his death's prayer. It was both uh, his spiritual pinnacle and a, also a low point of despair. And this tells us something. The high point was, Samson, uh, was that Samson knew that this was God's victory. 
you have given into the hand of your servant this great deliverance. So he saw two things there. He says, it's you that's done this, and you've used me as your servant, a humble servant. And when we really understand our position before God, then what happens is our understanding will affect our practice, and it affected Samson's practice. And spiritual victory came uh, as he lived on the basis of his position before God. And the same thing with us. Spiritual victory comes as we live in the position of Christ, our position of Christ. And then it says he has a, the prayer revealed real spiritual growth in Samson's life. And it was also a cry of despair when he says, Then he became very thirsty and he called to the Lord and said, You had given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised. This was an amazing cry from a man who had walked fearlessly before a horde of, of Philistines. And we should learn from this that we need to be very careful. We need to be very careful in the middle of our victories that we do not lose fellowship with the Lord. Because if we lose fellowship with the Lord, Satan loves to attack us when we have great victory. When we have great victory, that's when sometimes we expose our weakness the most. We thank, we rejoice, we, uh, you know, we celebrate, and then we go about and forget the victory if we're not careful and go about thinking that we are invincible and we forget the source of our strength. It is you who gave these to me, your servant. And what we do is we let our guards down and Satan comes and attacks us and we have a great defeat if we're not careful. And also, we need to understand the physical aspect in this, all, in this battle. It was both spiritual and physical. But the physical point is, two, we need to be very careful. How many times, how many of us, how many of you when you have been most tired, when you have been worn out, you battle with your spouse or your children or someone else. It's so easy to lose your temper, to lose focus. Now, I've never done that with Debbie over there, but uh, no, I tell you what, I can relate to it. I can definitely relate to it. It happens. So we need to be careful about when we have victories of rejoicing, but forgetting our dependence upon God and who gave us that victory and that we're still in a battle. But not only that, when we're tired and worn out physically, we need to really guard against our emotions taking over. And us losing that battle. God's answer. First he supplied water. Aren't you glad that you have a God who supplies all our needs? Amen. Second thing the Lord did was to establish Samson's judgeship really. We have no details of Samson's ongoing 
work as a judge, but between Judges 15 and 16, there's a gap of 20 silent years. So the, avail the um, available information suggests that the Lord used Samson during that time. With all his shortcomings, we must, we, we must never forget that Samson stood almost alone against the enemy for God. And we need to pull together as believers in Jesus Christ. But we're not always around believers when battles occur. But one thing we can, we can always be assured of, that the Lord never leaves us, that he's always there. And he's there to help us. Let's bow our heads in prayer.